with the first pick. And welcome back to the Daft on Draft podcast. Happy holidays. I hope everyone has enjoyed their Christmas or they're celebrating Kwanzaa, um, you know, or, or any other denomination. I hope you enjoyed your holiday season. And of course, uh, this is Devin Jackson joined by my co-host Corey Kennan. We're back uh, to to talk about prospects, talk about some recent news, some big news happening for the NFL draft world, uh, and then uh, a position group on the offensive side of the ball that uh, me and you are both super excited to talk about. But first, Corey, how you doing, man, and, and how did you enjoy your holidays? Yeah, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. You know, I, I, we did a lot of traveling. Well, not a lot of traveling. We went to Indianapolis, which is three hours from, from Columbus, where we live. So, uh, But we were there for like five days, so it felt like we were away from home for a while. So it's good to be home, good to be back in my my natural habitat and uh, excited to be back kind of in the flow of things. We started back to work on Monday or Tuesday. So feels like the, the post, I mean, I guess we have another short week next week with new year's, but we're getting there uh, back into the regular swing of things. And, and now we're getting to, to deep into bowl season to almost the New York six bowls, uh, which we'll dive into. So we're like fully into draft season, which is just a great place to be. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I definitely agree with that. For me, it was a little bit more chaotic. Uh, we had a flight. Me and my girlfriend had a flight to Atlanta that we were supposed to board, but uh, in Illinois, there was a big storm coming, so they canceled the flight. So we hopped in the car and uh, split up the drive, the eleven hour drive over two days, and uh, we're we we were able to get there, but. Towards the end of that first day, it was a lot of snow and it was kind of making it hard to see. So that last hour of the drive was stressful. But after that, you know, everything went pretty smoothly Um, and and back now. And then I'm going back to Atlanta a couple of days to, for the college football playoff game between Ohio State and Georgia. So I'm excited about that. But but yeah, a lot of traveling uh, for for the holidays and, and happy to to for now, at least to kind of settle down and, and kind of regroup and. Uh, you know, get back into our NFL draft talk in this podcast. But first, some big news happened right before we uh, started recording um, tonight. Keishon Boutte originally decided that he was going to come back to school, has reversed course, and now he will be entering the 2023 NFL draft um, and, and, you know, taking his talents uh, to the NFL after probably a, a very, I would say one of, I won't say, crazy but probably the mo one of the more tumultuous you know <laughs> situations uh with Boutte and LSU over the last calendar year or so uh with Brian Kelly coming in you know he's thinking about maybe transferring a lot of people rumor maybe he's going to Bama decides to come back to LSU and then Kelly in the spring talked about him and Boutte get on the same page and then obviously you get into the season and Boutte is frustrated with how things went the first few weeks and now um, and he played well down the stretch. I will add that he did play a lot mm-hmm. better down the stretch and they were getting him the ball. Um, but anyway, kind of big picture look now, Corey, you hear the news. Uh, how do you think that shakes up the, the receiver class, uh, for 2023? Yeah, I, I still need to dive in quite a bit to the receiver class, but it's been a weird year for receivers. Again, two of the top guys that we talked about, Butte and Jackson Smith and Jigba both had 
less than ideal 2022 season. So uh, I think we kind of gotten to a point where it just kind of feels like Quinton Johnston is, is kind of that, that wide receiver one, one, because he's probably one of two or three that have played outside of the slot on a large number of snaps in their, their college career. So um, at the next level that translates to, to being a potential wide receiver one in X, a guy who can, who can beat press coverage, who can win outside the numbers. Um, but yeah, Boutte came into the season with a lot of wide receiver one hype, deservedly so based off of his, of his 2021 tape. And uh, it is interesting. Again, he, he had decided he was going to go back to school and then decided, no, I'm good. I'm, I'm going to come out. So um, again, and, and it's just weird timing as well. So um I still think he's going to get drafted, you know, probably a top. Uh, that's a great question, man. I don't, I can't, cause like Addison had a great year. Smith and Jigba is still going to go really high. So where does he fall now? So that is an interesting conversation and, and I'm excited to dive into the tape and kind of see where I fall <coughs> with that. But again, he did end the season well with the hundred yards on six catches and a touchdown against Georgia. Uh, so that's a, that's a good way to go out. Um, but yeah, it'll be really interesting. Seven catches against Alabama, six against Florida for a hundred over a hundred. So, I mean, he does have some good numbers against top tier SEC teams. So I think he's got that going for his favor. It will be interested to see how it shakes out after a less than ideal season, I would say. For sure. And I think a lot of people are going to ask, you know, about maybe some of the, the off field stuff, how he was, you know, with inside of the team, especially uh, early on that season when things were going LSU's way. But, you know, like you say, you put up some really good uh, numbers and, and some good tape uh, down the stretch of the season. So it'll be interesting as well for my end to dive into that. Uh, but that was really all the, the, the only big news happening, uh, you know, with bowl season kind of slowly trickling along a lot of games that I don't want to say were, weren't super memorable, but but not a lot of uh, top tier competition happening. But as we get closer and, and we'll finish off the episode with this, we'll, we'll talk about the impending college football playoffs uh, that are happening this weekend. Uh, you know, and some players will be watching for that. But today is all about the big men on the end of the line of scrimmage today. And that is the tight end group uh, in the 2023 class. At the very top, we know the the name at the top of the, the list and should be on everyone's top of the list um, down at Notre Dame. But we're here to both of us switch off and, and talk about who our top five tight ends are at this time of kind of the process Obviously, we're still watching a lot of these guys, still trying to see if some of these guys are going to um, declare and, and go ahead and, and make their allegiance known to the NFL. But uh, I would say probably a lot of this list, a large portion of this list are, are upperclassmen. So there's not going to be a lot of rich or sophomores in here and, and whatnot. Um, but but first, I'll, I'll let you start off, Corey. Um, and I think we'll go reverse order here, uh, five to one. So So for you, Who's the the number five guy right now for you at, in the tight end room? Yeah, for me, that's going to be Sam Laporta out of Iowa. So Laporta is an interesting dude. <laughs> he was kind of in an odd situation where that Iowa offense is anemic and he's the best playmaker on that Iowa offense. Uh, and so they were like throwing him screens, like his yards per target is way low. Dot is way low. Um so I think he he has the potential to to kind of develop beyond what he was the NFL level that, relative to what he was in 2022 for Iowa. But when I watch Laporta, you know, I I see an average athlete. Uh, I think he's a good receiver. He's got really nice hands, uh, an average blocker. 
there's just a lot about Laporta's game that's to me is average, and to me that screams that guy's that that guy's going to be a tight end two at the next level. Who uh, and again that's fine. NFL teams are running a lot of twelve personnel. Twelve personnel is the most efficient uh, per- personnel grouping to throw the football out of. Teams are going to run a lot of twelve, so there's nothing wrong with being a, a tight end two at the next level. Um, but I, that's just kind of where I am at with Laporta is just you know a good good solid player, but like. He doesn't have a trait that blows me away or a trait that separates him that makes me say, oh, that that's going to elevate him at the next level outside of, oh, he's going to get some scheme looks where he's going to be, you know, a backside target or or he's going to be a second option on a boot or something like that where he's going to just be open. And, you know, so, um, yeah, five for me is Laporta. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for my and I'll give I'll give a little notes before I go into my number five, because uh, I watched Laporta as well, a couple games on him. And, and I saw a lot of the same things and wrote down a lot of the same things as well. Um, I think for him, I see a guy that, you know, I, I see some some explosiveness, uh, you know, out, out of the uh, out of his stance and, and and being able to get off the ball quickly. Um, then you, you see him uh, kind of th- throughout a route. There, there's really nothing. I wouldn't say there's anything special at the top of the route. I think he does a nice job staying square and, and breaking down. Um, and provide himself a nice target. One thing I, I had a question about with him was, especially like in, in the trenches and blocking was, uh, some, some of his length. I, I thought he wasn't a super lengthy guy, like, you know, kind of, I, I won't say he didn't have long enough arms, but it wasn't anything special. I saw a lot of times he was kind of getting pushed around a little bit and, and, you know, defenders were, were, you know, knocking down his hands and, and kind of replacing their hands. Um, and I, I just didn't think in those one-on-one situations he fared a well, well ton, uh, fared well a ton. Um, and and to me, like I said, I, that, I also think he's a tight end too. One of those type move tight ends. He did a lot, a uh, lot of work on outside zone and, and being able to uh, move bodies, uh, you know, like on a moving target. But but when it came to one-on-one blocking, uh, it was something that that kind of struggled with him. He actually just missed my top fives because uh, my number five tight end is Cameron Latu from Alabama. Okay. Um. So one thing, kind of a uh, little bit of background with him. He originally came to Alabama uh, as a defensive prospect. He was, uh, I believe, a defensive end coming out of high school, and uh, he's great length. I think he's he's like six five, two forty five, two fifty. Uh, really nice soft hands. Um, and to me, one of the things I really enjoyed about him was his ability to uh, create some separation at the top of routes. He did a really nice job on dig routes. There was a one play against LSU where he completely lost a defender at the top of the route, caught the ball and was able to get another 10, 15 yards. Um, so I was very impressed with, with what he brought in that table. And there's a, a nice, a couple of nice blocks he made uh, as well in the trenches. I don't think he's a guy that kind of sticks in the trenches. I think he's more of that kind of split out tight end, more of a you know kind of a hybrid type tight end where he's not going to be in line in a ton of snaps. You, you line him up, you can line him in the slot, uh, you know, kind of put him in that wing back you know situation, uh, kind of move him around a little bit as well as a move tight end. Uh, but I did see some ability to stretch. Uh, the seam vertically, um, uh, be able to create some separation at the top of the route, um, on dig routes, especially, um, and, and be able to root out some defenders, uh, as a kind of an insert player on, on some inside run. So for me, Cameron Latu, uh, checked in at number five. I, I thought he was a, 
a really solid player. And I think for me, he's probably, I would have him probably in that late round three, early round four area, depending on what his testing is, uh, but by Trent Moore as a day three guy for me. Yeah, I like Latu's ability to block. I don't, I, I, yeah, I, I do wonder the levels of the field that he can win at. And he's got some ball security issues throughout his time. Like he's fumbled a football each of the past two seasons. And um, I think his drop percentage is at like, uh, he's charted at 12% over the past two seasons. So 12% of his targets have, have kind of hit the turf. And um, so I, I have some concerns, but I have no, again, this tight end class is top heavy when, when you get through like the top, you know, three or four. Uh, but after that, it's, it's definitely up for, for, for debate. Uh, jump to my number four. Um, I'm going to go to the guy out of Utah, which this guy, Dalton Kincaid, I was interested in a couple years ago when he was tearing it up at the FCS level playing for San Diego, transferred to Utah during the COVID year and didn't play hardly at all in 2020. Hardly played, burst onto the scene late last year with, with the Utes and then completely took over this year. Uh, so when we're talking about Dalton Kincaid's production, uh, it's hard to find a more productive tight end in the nation. Um then, then Dalton Kincaid, uh, again, he outproduced Michael Mayer, uh, this season again, racked up 70 catches, 890 yards and eight touchdowns for the Utes. Um, again, he is a fifth year senior. So he's a little bit older because uh, again, it took him a little bit of, of time when he transferred from the FCS to the FBS level to, to kind of find his ground, uh, for, for the Utes. Um, but again, he's got nearly 34 inch arms, um, and, and it shows with his catch radius, absolutely wild catch radius. Uh, some of the strongest hands, some of the best body control of, of a tight end in the class. Just watching him, that USC tape where he puts up a clinic of over 200 yards receiving is insane. Some of the catches he's making on the field along the boundary uh, in tight windows. Some of the most secure hands in the class, uh, wide receiver or tight end. Just unbelievably soft and strong hands. Uh, he's a good route runner too, um, but I think what I appreciate most about Kincaid, again, he's not a burner. He, he can eat up space between him and, and a, guy, and a, a guy and off man pretty well. Um, but what I appreciate him most about him most is his ability to, to be versatile. Again, he's, he's more of a big slight slot than a traditional inline tight end. Like nobody's going to use this guy as a traditional inline tight end. He's not a good blocker. That's not where he's going to win. Um, but you're going to be able to, to create mismatches in the passing game with this guy. Uh, he can, he can, he's going to beat safeties and linebackers. You're going to have to adjust for, for Dalton Kincaid. And again, he will catch everything that is thrown his way. So, uh, just a tremendous talent. And, and I've got, Kincaid right now at like a <clears throat> probably a high third, so top seventy ish to top seventy five range, uh, I think is is a, is a good range for for Dalton Kincaid, Kincaid to come off the board uh, by the time the draft rolls around. Yeah, and I want to preface this by saying I'm pretty sure we have the top four same guys, so probably these names are, <laughs> are going to be a little bit interchangeable. But yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Kincaid, and we talked about him uh, like early on. You know, right after I, I want to say towards the end of last year when he was uh, really starting to ramp up and and make some big noise, uh, you know, with Brant Keithy there, uh, he got a lot of the attention. But but you know, he he's really Kincaid has really uh, emerged as a, as a top target. But I have someone a little bit different at number four because uh, I have Kincaid a little bit higher up on my list. But number four for me uh, is Darnell Washington from Georgia, um, and for me. Four through two was incredibly difficult because each guy brought a little bit something different for, you know, in terms of skill set, uh, in terms of uh, versatility and, and 
usage and, and for Georgia's Darnell Washington, dude is is massive. Uh, first of all, um, just just absolute incredible size. And to me, I don't think they play similar at all between. I don't want to say similar at all, but I don't think they play similar. But the size is certainly astounding with Jelani Woods and, and Darnell Washington, and, and it'll be an interesting debate because I know some people have already made the argument that Washington should be tight in one. Uh, but for me, uh, as we we talked about a little bit um, the other day, Washington was a guy that you know I you know kept seeing him on other people's film. Like I'm, I'm watching like Vanderbilt against Georgia. I'm watching Kentucky, um, watching Florida. I'm watching uh, all these SEC teams, Tennessee, uh, you know, trying, trying to defend him. And there's really no answer. Um, really a guy that I don't think he moves as well laterally as you would like, but he's just a bully. He's someone you get the ball too quickly, um, get him in jump ball situations, have him run up the seam uh, and 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 throw the ball up to him. He's that he's that type of guy where you just find a way to get him get him ball the ball. He's a big target over the middle of the field. I don't think there's a a lot of refinement yet in terms of technic technicalities with route running. Um, you know, sticking at the top of routes, but he's he's nasty in the trenches. He, he's someone that's going to finish through the whistle. Um, someone that is is just so hard to defend and and I'm I'm really interested to see how how State's gonna find a way to to kind of keep him under wraps because really I mean he's playing alongside Brock Bowers and, and it just doesn't feel fair. You know, you have Bowers who is going to be the tight end one next year and you have Washington that, you know, kinda is an afterthought but but he's made so many impact plays. He's jumping over dudes. You know, he <laughs> the the athleticism is just crazy. But for me, I think because of you know what kind of separate starting to separate these guys it's just some of the nuances of route running some of the nuances of blocking like mm-hmm. i think for him like there's a lot of times where he just out overpowers dudes and and, and that's great but, but you got to keep those hands inside you, you got to continue to move those feet and, and continue to drive and i think those small things you know if, if he continues to build on those he can be a tight end one at the next level and and really become a uh, cornerstone piece for NFL team. For me, I think he right now I would probably have him early round three, just because I think some of the I want to see how we test laterally. You know, when when we're doing the the you know kind yes. of the short shuttle and um you know the ten yard burst, I want to see that as well because you know I don't think he's overly fast, but I think he's one of those build to speed type of dudes. But but I'm very, very intrigued to see, you know, kind of how the NFL or are, are taking these type guys. You know, Jelani Woods was taken, I want to say, towards the end of round three last year. So, you know, how far up, how far, you know, or I guess how high are teams willing to take him, uh, depending on what how he moves laterally in those drills and whatnot. But I think just the talent and the body type alone, it warrants a – uh, you know, a, a top 75 pick for him. Yeah, I think that's a, a good place. I, I'll talk, I'll hit my note on Washington when I when I get to him, obviously. But I think you mentioned something about like, you, you would feel comfortable top of round three. And that's where I would feel comfortable with Washington as well. All these these next, you know, three for me until we get to, to Mayor, obviously, which we're building up to, uh, are all like, the margin between them is not steep. It's not steep. Um, 
So I think you hit the nail on the head where I'm seeing Washington mocked in first rounds of, of mock drafts, like 26 overall Titans, like for, and that, that's to me, that's way rich. That's way rich. Um, especially for a guy with the, the target volume that he's gotten in his career, like a huge, huge projection. Um, but again, I'll hit the rest of my notes of Washington when we get there. Uh, for me, moving to the, the Titan three from, uh, I'm moving to the FCS level following in, in Dallas Goddard's footsteps out of Dakota State. Uh, Tucker Craft, man. Um, I really like Tucker Craft. Uh, again, I would probably put him in that fringe second, third round range as well. Um, but man, he's a fun, fun player. And it stinks that he got early on in the season. And so his tape's a little limited this year, but, uh, I, I think he, he's runs some pretty decent routes. I think he's got a pretty decent route tree. Uh, one thing I did notice about his routes as well is he's got a throttle. He's got a second gear as well, which is not common to see among tight ends, um, for the most part. So he does has, have that second gear he can throttle to, um, which is, which is nice. He terrorizes down the seam. He's, he's a monster down the seam. Uh, and, and they'll leave their own little slip screen, little bubble screens, uh, just to get him the ball in space as much as possible as well. And, and he's, he's pretty good after the catch. He's not, he, he's, a, he's an athletic dude. So, um, Kraft is, is, is my tight end three. And, and another underrated thing about him is, is he's a, he's a nasty blocker. Like he's a, he's a good blocker. He's willing to go out and do the things. I, I watched the, the game against Montana State. Um, this most recent game and, uh, the first series alone, he had, he did like three different things that I like checked off in a row. I was like, Oh, that's, that's just the first series. Like he first play of the game lined up his fullback as an H back pile drives the guy into the ground. First play of the game, second play of the game, they throw him a bubble screen, third play of the game or third play of the drive, same drive. He hits the seam for a touchdown, deep ball up the seam for a touchdown. It's just like this guy did everything for South Dakota State, everything that was asked of him. And and he's pretty well-rounded. He's a well-rounded tight end uh, who has the ceiling of being of being a tight end one. I think early on he's going to be a tight end two. Again, you want to use that guy as a move piece. You want to move him around quite a bit because he can do a lot of things. But I do think he has the ceiling of a tight end one. Um, and so I really like the game of Tucker Craft. Yeah, I I will talk about Kraft here in in a little bit, but yeah, I'm big fan. Saw him uh or watched him play in the last year's playoffs, FCS playoffs. I was like, who was this number eighty five dude? Like they threw him some, they threw him a tunnel screen. I was like, okay, and he broke like three tackles. Stiff. He housed it, didn't he? He almost did. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And crazy. he's listed at a full six five two fifty five too. So he's he's not like. These six two six three tight ends like move. He's six five two fifty five. Yeah, it, it's it's insane. But like I said, I'll, I'll get to him in a second. Dalton Kincaid is my number three guy. Um, and and for a lot of the reasons you said, I mean, ability to play above the rim. Um, you know the the subtle nuances at the top of the route too is not just with, you know, him. You know, catching passes over dudes. They're they're moving them all over the place. They're they're splitting them out. Uh, single receiver formation in the boundary. You know, he's running slants and uh, running corner routes and, and going up top and, and making plays. Um, he's he's also getting his nose in there and, and blocking as well. Now, I, I don't think he's the most refined blocker, but he gets the job done. There's a there. I think there's a play or two where he's on the backside of uh, a run and he's climbing to get the front side linebacker. And I think that type of effort and ability to uh, to work to to get to that first of all i mean that's an incredible landmark uh to begin uh, to to begin with to get to a lot of 
Uh, backside tackles can't even do that. But I just see a lot of the effort. I see a lot of the uh, ability to um, really make an impact, not only uh, as a contested catcher, but over the middle of the field, uh, create after the catch. I, th- I think there's really all that there with Kincaid. And he put it all together this year, had a lot of flashes in the 2021 season, uh, played really well in the the Rose Bowl last year, too. But he really put it all together this year, uh, became one of the top weapons for Utah. And I expect him to have a big game to kind of stamp his career against Penn State in this year's Rose Bowl. So Kincaid is, is my tight end three. Yeah, I've already hit on hit on Kincaid. Yeah, I'm a I'm a big big fan. Like NFL, like Darren Waller can't block either, and he's a, the top tier tight end because he creates in the passing game. So I think Kincaid's going to find an early role, man. I really like him. Uh, on to tight end two already. All right, so he was your tight end four, my tight end two. That's a pretty di- big difference. But again, when I mentioned like my tight end four through two are are very microscopic in difference. Like on my grading scale, I graded out. Darnell Washington at 7.925, which is a very high third rounder. Eight is gets him in the second round range. Tucker Craft graded out as a 7.9. So separated by 0.025 uh, between Craft and, and Washington. Again, he is my tight end too. I would not take him as high as people are mocking him. Again, the dude has had 40 targets on the season. That's it. Just 40 targets. Like, how do you project that to becoming a first round pick, a guy who can can consistently produce. But on those small targets, he did a lot of really nice things. So he only dropped two passes on 40 targets. Two passes, that's negligible. It's fine, whatever. Um, massive, massive mitts, strong hands, plucks the ball out of the air, massive catch radius, 6'7", 280. Like, this dude's a monster. And a lot of the things you hit on, he's nasty. He's a bully. If there, I, I don't know if there's a meaner player in college football than Darnell Washington. And that's not conjecture. That's just that's not like hyperbole. Like pound for pound, like boy positions. Sure, you could go find a defensive tackle who weighs 350 pounds and say, "Oh, I bet this guy's meaner." Like pound for pound, I don't think there's anybody meaner than Darnell Washington in college football. Um, and again, they did a lot of things where they'd split him out in the slot, out wide, you know, in line. He, he can kind of do it all. Um, and he's the best blocking tight end in the class, like hands down the, the best blocking tight end in the class. I don't, I don't think that's that. I, I don't see how another tight end even comes close compared to to him. Uh, you know, like unless there's like a Coquif who's like a blocking specialist and is all he does hiding somewhere, like he was last year out of Minnesota. But like, uh, yeah. So for me, I see the pathway where I can say, okay, I can see the skill set of Darnell Washington being a tight end one. I can see the pathway for Darnell Washington a three down tight end. Uh, and that's enough for me to, uh, to stick him at tight end. Again, I think he's going to test really well in, you know, those more linear explosive bills, like the vertical jump, like the broad jump. I think the 40 will be interesting. Cause I'm with you. He's kind of in that little trailing Burks where it's that back 20, where he's going to fly and not so much the, the first, uh, uh, the first 10 yard split. Um, so that'll be interesting. But I, again, with you, I'm interested in his lateral movement because he's very stiff. He is very linear. He's very stiff, uh, but he still does a lot of those things well, even though he's stiff. Like he's clearly explosive, so because um, he's hurdling dudes out there at six seven two eighty. So um, I pathway for Darnell, Darnell Washington to be a, a full time tight end uh, where he can kind of take on more than forty targets in a season. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. To it's going to be a fascinating debate. I think just you know because there's going to be people that that make that argument he's tight end one in, in this class, but I, I, it'll be interesting to, to see a discourse around him because I know around Jelani Woods, it was 
uh, quite quite a varying opinions, and he's making an impact already as a rookie uh, with the Colts. So it'll be interesting to see with that type of body type and and style of play how how people land on him. Uh, number two for me is Tucker Craft. Um, and usually I don't, I'm not super, always super high on these FCS guys. Like there were some FCS guys that, that hit my top 10 last year and, and some of the rankings, um, you know, like obviously like Pierre Strong and, and some, some of those, those big name FCS dudes, but I just can't stop the kind of the infatuation with Kraft because like, they're like giving him jet sweeps and they're like doing all these creative stuff with him. And, and he's, he's, you know, producing. And I, and like you said, I'm, I'm sad that he got hurt early this season, but to me, I believe he's a, a redshirt junior. He's just one of the younger tight end prospects we had in, in quite some time. And nonetheless, from the FCS level, I just love just the way he plays, you know, like how the offensive coordinator used him at South Dakota state, how he can be in a guy up the scene, someone that, you know, catches slants, they go to him on third and fourth downs. Every team knew that he was getting the ball and he still produces. And, and to me, I think that kind of speaks volumes of how good of a player he is and, and the blocking too. I think there are some things you clean up technically, technically wise, but he's a nasty blocker in the trenches. He's someone that you can pull across the line of scrimmage um, and have him do things like that. You can have him double team with the tackle. So many different things you can do with him. And to me, kind of the versatility part of his game is what kind of put him over the edge, over like Kincaid and, and Washington. Just the ability and in, in what he's able to do with the ball in his hands, I think is special. And and to me, that makes him tight in two for me. Mm-hmm. He is a, a true fourth-year player. So I do wonder if he did graduate, you know, if he's graduating now or if he graduated this month, uh, if he's going to be down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl. He hasn't gotten an invite yet or I don't I don't see an invite yet that he's accepted. But I, I do wonder. And another thing to, to consider before we move off of Kraft and move on to, to Michael Mayer, where we're both building up to, uh, he had offers to transfer up into the SEC, uh, offers pay him a lot of money to do it. And he said, no, I'm staying here. So I think that's worth mentioning as well with Kraft is that he had the chance to transfer to a big time SEC program and said, no, nah, I'm good. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to finish what I started here. Um, and so that's definitely admirable and, and worth mentioning. Cause that's going to come up in meetings with NFL teams as well. Like NFL teams care about that stuff. Now uh, we move to the number one tight end on uh, both of our lists here. Uh, someone that has been kind of, He's kind of been the next guy that uh, people have called Baby Gronk. Um, that it seems like every other year we're doing this, but might actually kind of live up to that. But but we'll see. Um, but number one on my list and your list, uh, Michael Mayer from Notre Dame. Um, I, I think it's clear that he's he's the best tight end in this class, just because mm-hmm. like what he's able to do. Uh, at any given time in a game, I mean, you need him to to win up the seam. You know, he can do it. You throw it to him short on a shallow route. He's able to break a few tackles, score. There's there's really nothing he can't do. Um, for the or for the Notre Dame offense, he was a the top target on that that offense, and teams knew it. You know, they loaded up to stop him. Ohio State did a pretty good job of containing him, but 
pretty much every game after that, he he made some noise and and he did it in a big way. Um, and, and there's really nothing you could do. You, you try to cover him one on one with the linebacker, he just runs past him. Uh, you try to put him one on one with the safety, he just you know uses his big frame to to kind of shield you. And um, to me, one one thing I wrote down about you know his route running is is intelligent route running. He's not a blazer. You know, he's not like a four four guy. You know, he's not. A, you know, I, I I think he. I wouldn't call him a necessarily a a freak prospect, but in terms of what he's able to do, the subtleness at the top of the routes. You know, he, he's able to create separation. He creates throwing lanes um, by the timing, the the kind of the, the deception, his ability to avoid. Um, you know those. Uh, attempted jams or, or to try to reroute him. He, he knows it's coming and, and you can tell every route that he runs is intentional. You know, it, it's not uh, any wasted movement. You know, he gets to where his spot that he needs to get uh, at a reasonable time. And he has such a wide frame uh, and, and big target to, to throw to. It's, it's all impressive. I, I think it can't be overstated enough that, you know, I, I would take this guy at the back end of the first round you know, and, and not feel bad about it. And and to me, I, you know, we couldn't really say that about last year's class, but, but, you know, this year you, you have that guy that is certainly a, a worthy round one prospect. So mayor for me uh, was a no brainer uh, for Titan one. Yeah, it's, it's truly a no brainer. It's truly a no brainer. Again, people are trying, I've seen some Darnell Washington tight end one takes, and I mean, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but, I mean, I, I don't see, I, I don't see it at all. I mean, Michael Mayer is fluid at his size. So six five two fifty, And that dude sinks his hips so well. Uh, he's such a crisp route runner. He gets in and out of his breaks. A pretty, pretty diverse route tree from a multitude of alliance. Like, it, it, it's a no-brainer to me. It's, it's an easy decision to say Michael Mayer is easily the best tight end in this class. No issue taking him first round. Um yeah, and and you mentioned all of the refinement things. I, I I jotted that stuff down too. Dude wipes hands so well at the top of routes. You know, knocking hands off when he's trying to work downfield. Knows how to to to. to uh, I think it's Benjamin Solak who says always create offensive or always commit offensive pass interference, and he knows how to do that subtly at the top of routes, giving a little elbow at the hands at the top of routes. But he's a king at creating cushions at the top of his routes. He's a king of of giving his quarterback a clean target to throw to. Um, excellent hands like what's what's the knock on this guy that he's not an elite blocker like okay like there's like three tight ends in the nfl that are like i I don't care like this guy is easily tight end one easily tight end one so i'm with you there a hundred percent the whole way all the way down all the way down tight end one yeah really really phenomenal ability and only watched a couple games and and just knew immediately to me i went back just to watch the ohio state game and Honestly, there were plays where he was open and they just didn't look at him backside or they didn't get to his progression, but he, he was still open in that game and they did a pretty good job containing him. So wanted to add that note as well. Let's start to talk about a few players that missed a cut um, on this list. Uh, one being Luke uh, Musgrave for, from both of us, an unnotable uh, omission. Um, and I'll, I'll let you go first. What, what about Musgrave that, uh, you know, kind of made you or made him miss uh, your top five list? Yeah, so kind of in the same boat as Washington. Washington has a full body of work, though. Like, 
the target share throughout his career isn't there. And those first two games, he was getting fed targets. So it's really disappointing that he got hurt after week two because he was truly getting those those targets that that we, we've all been looking for. But with Musgrave, he's long. He's very long. Um, but he doesn't sink his hips as well as some of these other longer, longer dudes do. So I think he's a little lanky. And I think it shows up uh, when he tries to sink his hips and get out of breaks. So I think it takes him an added step or two to get out of his breaks. Uh, compared to a guy like Mayer, who's who's fluid and seamlessly gets in and out of his breaks, which is just so rare. Um, and I also just think he's kind of soft. So I don't think he deals with physicality, uh, whether that's um, working off the line of scrimmage, uh, working at the top of his route, working down the field. I, I feel like he got bumped off his path quite a bit um, and, and without a, a lot of effort. So um, and it shows up in his ability as well. I don't think he's a great blocker um, by any means either. So um, he's again, he's. And I don't think, again, his hips don't sink well, so I don't think he can win with leverage as a blocker very, very well. Um, and so defenders get into his chest pretty easily when that happens, especially when you're trying to block defensive ends. Like, it's, it's just, it doesn't go well for, for Musgrave. Uh, for, for Musgrave, though, I think he can stride it out with the best of them. I think he, he can he can really stride it out down the field and separate deep down the field. So, again, he'll find a role at the NFL level, um, but he just didn't make the cut in, in my in my top five, I think I, I put a, a fourth round grade on him. So, I mean, he's he's going to go top 120, top 125, and maybe even higher. We'll see if he's healthy enough to test since, you know, his injury week two. Uh, that would be ideal. Um, but, yeah, Musgrave's the guy for me that that just missed the cut. Yeah, Musgrave uh, missed the cut for me. And it, it just really came down to, you know, kind of the body of work and, and sample size. And, you know, I I think – his blocking is a little overstated, you know, compared to what people are saying uh, about his ability. Um, and I, I don't think blocking is like as big as it used to be for tight ends. It's really where not you, where you have to be able to block. But for me, I think he's that type of player that is probably going to hang more in, in the trenches. And I would like to just see a little bit better base, a little bit better uh, ability to to kind of climb to the second level and just some more consistency. Oregon State as a whole, they ran a very, I would say, very kind of, you know, comparable type of uh, NFL system or, or college system that kind of translates to NFL level. So I think he won't, there won't be a humongous learning curve for him. A lot of those concepts are, you know, kind of ingrained in the NFL offenses. So I think he'll have that ability where maybe he's a Daniel Bellinger type of guy where he comes in and, and kind of makes an impact immediately. Uh, doesn't put up huge numbers, but but can pick up the offense pretty quickly. I kind of see him in, in kind of that light a little bit um, in terms of what he can bring, you know, kind of more that, I won't say traditional, but but uh, tight ends we've kind of accustomed to seeing being like a tight end too. Um so I think Musgrave is, is going to find a role at the NFL level, but but just missed my top five. And uh, like I said earlier, Sam Laporta as well. Um, just worry a little bit about his size. Uh, I think he certainly has a skill set to to also be a impact NFL level guy, but but I worry a little bit about his size compared to some of those other dudes on the list. But but nonetheless, I think he's he's an NFL talent for sure. Zach is out of Old Dominion's worth mentioning as well. Penn State transferred to Old Dominion. Was having a phenomenal season, but also suffered a season-ending injury. Uh, he's also going to be 24 pretty soon after coming after getting drafted, a month after getting drafted. So he's a little bit of an older guy as well. 
Uh, and then some some day three guys that we didn't get to. Josh Wiley out of Cincinnati uh, has had hype for a few years now, but uh, production has has kind of dropped off each of the last two seasons after a really strong 2020, 2020 campaign. Um, and so, you know, what Josh Wiley's worth bringing up, Luke Shoemaker has some fans out of Michigan. Payne Durham out of Purdue both have, have fans. Um, again, it's it's a lot of older dudes who, you know, are benefiting that COVID year. A lot of fifth, six-year seniors uh, in, in this Titan class who are pushing 23, 24 years old before they're even drafted. So, um but yeah, I think that's that's going to do it for the uh, tight end talk. And it's worth men- mentioning today as well that Brenton Strange just declared out of Penn State. So Brenton Strange is a guy that you probably didn't watch. I didn't watch because I had no idea he was going to declare. I would have told you he was like 100%. Um, and then there's another guy out of Stanford and Ben Urasek who hasn't made up his decision as well. So again, some of this stuff can change. Combine still has to happen. Somebody could go out and completely bomb at the combine or somebody could be like Jelani Woods and completely blow it up and, and just test as a freak at every single drill. So again, these aren't solid. These aren't in, in, in stone and pen. Um, again, there's some players who might declare, but I think that's a, that's a pretty good place to for now for, for both Devin and I. Yeah, yeah, Wiley is a, a good name you brought up. I I liked him a little bit a couple of years ago, but now we're we're a couple of years later, <laughs> you know, and and it it's just funny that some of these guys have now come in full circle, you know, the COVID year, uh mm-hmm. the extra COVID year and kind of helps too. Thought Wiley should have declared last year, but that's just me. I'll I'll dive back into the safe and see what I saw uh see see you know what he did this year but but yeah that, that's a great name Britton Strange I think it's going to be an interesting one um because he's just tough as hell and it makes a lot of uh, contested catches and on a lot of poorly thrown balls uh from Sean Clifford <laughs> um so that'll be interesting to watch too and he kind of staved off Theo Johnson at Penn State so I, I think that says something you know able to still be on the field and, and become a main contributor for that Penn State offense so very interested to to take a look at his film and see what we uh see what I think of him at the very least. Final thing we're gonna do before we wrap up this podcast, college football playoffs this weekend. You got um Georgia and Ohio State playing in the Peach Bowl, uh quote unquote in, in one of the college football playoffs. That's in the second game. The first game is TCU in Michigan, I believe it's down at in Arizona. Um first of all uh, very excited to to have the college football playoff here and ready to go. And we'll do one prospect from each game uh, that, that you're look, looking forward to most. So I'll, I'll let you start, Corey, on uh, TCU and Michigan, who's a one prospect, um, either that you're looking forward to seeing, to seeing or mm-hmm. you think needs a big game. Yeah, I'm going to go. It's not one prospect, but I'm going to go with the uh, the TCU running backs both Kendra Miller and, and Zach Evans. So uh, Michigan's got a, a pretty strong defensive line, you know, Mozzie Smith, Mike Morris, they've got dudes who can, who could play in their interior. So um, rush lanes might be a little limited. Uh, how, how are their eyes going to test? You know, how it's a good test on their eyes. If their their primary read is closed up, closing up, how, how they can cut off, uh, how their secondary eyes are working once they get through that first level, both dynamic running backs. So I'm, I'm going to go with, with Kim Miller and Zach Evans and how they fare against that Michigan front. For sure. Uh one one player that I'm looking forward to seeing um is uh Michigan cornerback DJ Turner. He's gonna get mm-hmm. a healthy test this weekend uh against Quinn Johnston. And I wanna see how he's uh matches up with him one and two, you know, kind of how 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 much are they gonna put him on him? Are they are they gonna allow him to follow mm-hmm. or are they going to 
kind of play their base defense and and just whenever he lines up against them, just just let them be. So I, I'm very interested to see Turner. Um, I haven't watched a ton of his film, kind of in passing, but he's he's made some impressive plays and, and has some twitch to him. So I, I want to see how he fares against Johnston, who seems to be trending towards a wide receiver one. And then we'll go to the second game um, between Ohio State and Georgia. The one guy I'm watching is DeWan Jones from Ohio State, mm-hmm. the right tackle. I think this could be a resume type, type of game for him. And, you know, Georgia doesn't have their top edge rusher, you know, in, in Nolan Smith playing, but I think it's going to be a terrific test to see how he handles uh, the speed and power and kind of the blend uh, and mix of pass rushers that Georgia throws at a, uh, at a team. I want to see how he deals with both and, and being there in person. I'll definitely be keeping a close eye on him um, as, you know, a team like the, maybe the Eagles look at him as a potential Lane Johnson uh, replacement, especially with him dealing with a core muscle injury uh, right now. So I'm, I'm very interested to see, you know, how he's going to handle that physicality of Georgia's defense and the stunts they throw out. They throw a lot of stunts. They, they move around a lot. They move around the defensive lineman. He may have some reps against Jalen Carter. So I'm I'm very intrigued to see how he fares in this game. Man, that's such a good, it's hard to pick one from this Ohio State Georgia game because I mean, there's, it's a good matchup between TCU and Michigan, but this Ohio State Georgia game is star studded, like across the board, every position you can be like, that's an NFL guy. That's an NFL guy. That's an NFL guy. So it's hard to pick one. Um, and so like, it's hard. Like I want to, I want to say like Broderick Jones, I th- I think Broderick Jones got kind of, kind of whipped by BJ Ojolari in, in the, the SEC championship game at two more good pass rushers coming against Ohio State, but. I mean, I I can't leave here without talking about C.J. Stroud. Like, I think a little bit of the shine's kind of worn off of C.J. Stroud, you know? it's It's been a long season, and it's, you know, the typical Ohio State quarterback pre-draft stuff, and and he's probably deserved a bit of it. He's, he hasn't been very good outside of structure. He hasn't been very good at under pressure. Like, he has – he's 0-2 versus Michigan. I think those things kind of matter to NFL teams. And and so I think C.J. Stroud, you know, now he's being talked about in the world's will better than him is Anthony Richardson better than him which I think is 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 too far I mean it's different but I think that's too far like yeah I get Bryce Young Bryce Young but but he's got a real chance to make a statement here and say listen man I I'm still CJ Stroud like I'm still the guy that was the the QB one of the offseason all over the place who was being mocked in the top five pre all over the place and still is throughout the season but like has a chance to say like what are we doing here I'm still a really good quarterback. So uh, Georgia's defense is the best in the nation. So um, he's got a chance to really put some shine back on his name. That's kind of worn off as this long season. Along. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, I think at this point, there's a large portion of people putting Will Levis over CJ Stroud at the very moment. So that, I think having a big game, certainly against Georgia's defense and Obviously, the talk will be about Marvin Harrison Jr. versus Keely Ringo, the interior of Ohio State's offensive line dealing with Jalen Carter. But but Stroud seems like he's kind of becoming a, I don't want to say underrated, but but kind of under-talked about uh, storyline in, in this game. He's clearly the, the better quarterback between the two in this game. But, you know, I think the play on the field is, is going to matter most. And this is going to be the film they throw up. In, in about two or three months when they're having meetings with them. And, you know, and I know some teams like to, uh, you know, kind of talk about, you know, plays in, in that particular game. So I think it's going to be big for, for his stock and, you know, and, and what he's able to do. But I think 
you know, just in general, I think this game is going to be a lot closer than people think. I think a lot of people are expecting Georgia to to kind of roll over Ohio State. But, I mean, even in that Ohio State-Michigan loss, Ohio State was right there in the fourth quarter, in the beginning of the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Some missed opportunities, and, and that game is uh, completely different. So I, I think this, this is going to be a, a fascinating game to watch this weekend. Uh, and, and, and see, you know, like you said, star studded. So see all the stars shine and, uh, see what they can do under the bright lights in the Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta. It, it will. And that's going to be a fun, fun, fun game. Again, it starts every position you can have a guy that's going to, that's going to get drafted in either 2023 or 2024. I mean, I could have pointed out again, Broderick Jones versus Zach Harrison and, and JTT. I could have done Luke Whipler against Jalen Carter. Like every, everywhere there's matchups to like, I want to watch that. Caleb Ringo against Marvin Harrison Jr. Like it, it's just going to be across the board. So much fun. Um, but yeah, that's it for now. By the time we come back next week, we'll, we'll know what the national championship pairing is. We'll have, I think we're going to do corner coming up next week. So uh, we'll have some cornerbacks scouted and, and ready to discuss some corners. But again, as far as tight ends, we, we discussed six or seven names for, for people to dive into and, and give some takes on. So um, <clears throat> it's been a long, fun episode. And and again, it's, it's great to be back and have a podcast to talk draft weekly. It's, it's been something I dearly missed and uh, I couldn't have a co-pilot along the way uh, and having to talk about that. But uh, until next week, Corey, and this is Devin and, and Daft on Draft Podcast.